Well, good morning and welcome to another Involve on-site. I've been hearing a lot of positive comments about our on-site uh, messages, so I'm excited that uh, that you're enjoying them and seeing some of Idaho in a different light. And today, this morning, I'm standing in front of the old Idaho State Penitentiary. So I'm glad you can join us because there's, there's a reason for that. There's a significance to this. Well, in 355 BC, a guy by the name of Demosthenes, an Athenian political leader said this, law forbids the same man to be tried twice on the same issue. And to give you a little bit of the idea of just kind of what life was like when Demosthenes lived, about 20 years later, Alexander the Great rose to power and, and really took Greece to a new level and started to take the Greek philosophy and ideas and culture and spread it across the world. And then when the Roman Empire came along, it, it embraced much of, of the Greek culture and philosophies and ideals and so this this law actually carried over into the roman government so it's it much later but around 530 a.d this code has been recorded and you see it in the roman law and it's actually been in most western civilizations books since then the united states has this law and we call it double jeopardy no, it's not, not the game show. Uh, it's actually a law. And the double jeopardy clause is in the Fifth, Command, uh, Fifth Amendment excuse me, of the U.S. Constitution. And here's what it says, or here's what it's about. It prohibits anyone from being prosecuted twice for substantially the same crime. The relevant part of the Fifth Amendment states this, no person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. And that's taken from the Cornell Law School. So why all of this history? Well, when you look at what was going on in the time of Christ in, in the Roman Empire, and when Paul writes this letter, I think one thing that's significant is Paul understood his audience to understand that when somebody commits a crime and when they are judged and when they receive their penalty, and pay for that penalty, it's taken care of. It's the reason I'm standing in front of the, the penitentiary here. It's because people had in the past come and they have served their time. And once they serve their time, they cannot be tried for the same crime once again. And what I wanna tell you and what I wanna to communicate to you this morning and what I hope you grasp and understand is because Jesus has been tried and because Jesus has been found guilty even though he was innocent. And even and because Jesus paid for the price of our sins, the payment is paid in full. And you cannot be tried for what has already been paid for. That's why Romans 8.1 is such a powerful verse. Listen to it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. You cannot be condemned because Jesus Christ has already paid the price for your sins. He has already died and then he rose to the dead so that he can give us life. What an awesome verse. Look at what else he goes on to say. Because the law of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus excuse me, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death, what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did 
He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who have placed their faith in Christ. We now walk according to the spirit. They see what the law was not able to do. We can do now through Christ. The law could not make you righteous. And it doesn't matter if you were trying to live by the Mosaic law or you were just trying to live by, by moral law and man's law. The law could not make anybody righteous, anybody perfect. So Christ comes, he becomes righteous, and then he takes the sin on himself. The wrath of God is poured out upon him. The judgment is poured out upon him. And it's already been paid for. That's awesome. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds then set on the things of the flesh. This is our response. This is how we should respond to one who has done something so incredible for us. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, okay? This is what he's talking about. You and I live according to the spirit, have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Jesus was declared guilty. He paid the price and died so you can live. That's our big idea for the day. Jesus was declared guilty. He paid the price and he died so you can live. Well, in Latin, there's a phrase, nebis and edom. It means not twice against the same. Because Jesus paid the price, and because he was declared guilty, you're not gonna pay the price, and you're not gonna be declared guilty. As long as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He talks about walking in the spirit here, and he's making the contrast of, of not walking in the flesh. The flesh wants to take control of our own life. The flesh wants to say, yes, I can do it. But the spirit says you have to believe and have to have faith and have to trust in Christ. And you have to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You see, the law required continual judgment time and time again. There always had to be a sacrifice. There always had to be a, 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 an atonement offered for people's sins, but Jesus Christ became the one and only atonement. And we believe that, we trust that, and we walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit gives truth, the Spirit gives light, and helps us understand that it's found in Christ and not in ourselves. Hebrews 10.10 tells us that. Jesus died once and for all. He is not one who's gonna be sacrificed over and over again. He died once, and he did it for you, and he did it for me, and he paid that price, and he paid that penalty. That's so awesome. So how's, how do we live? What's our response to that? How do we follow up with that? And I think that's what the rest of the text talks about. And that's why I want to show you another picture, give you another analogy to help you understand what it means to walk by the Spirit instead of walking by the law. So follow me to another spot. And that's where we'll explain this idea of walking by the Spirit. Well, here I am back in my garage. It's a little quieter here, less distractions, which is kind of nice when you're trying to preach through a message. 
And to be honest, this is the place, uh, one of the places I do a lot of, of my thinking when I get to tinker around and do some things. So I'm not going to show you the whole garage, just a very limited uh, side of our garage, because if you've been over here to my house and you've gone in the garage, you know, it's kind of a mess. Uh, but for this illustration, this is going to work well, I think. I didn't get to tell you when we were back at the penitentiary that I have been inside of jail before. Um, I was asked to come and visit somebody and it was a small town and they didn't really have like a, a visitation room. So so what they did do is they had part of the, the cell area be a place where I could go and go behind closed doors. They would bring the inmate in and I would, I would talk to them. Uh, I remember walking in and there wasn't a security guard in the room or anything like that. You would walk in the door, it was a big metal door, and it would close behind you and you hear this click. And you knew when you heard that sound that you were there. There was no way out. And then they would bring in the, the visitor, the person you were going to visit, and, and as you were visiting with them, that, that door would close behind them and you, it was clear you were, you were locked in a cell and you are not going to be able to get out. Well, as time goes by, I actually was doing Bible studies, and, and that became a regular occurrence. Every week I would go in and do these Bible studies. And when you go in there, I remember the feeling. It's like I, once you're in, you're, you're not going anywhere else. You're stuck until you push the button, and the person on the other side decides to push the switch and unlock the door and let you out. I remember going out and thinking, I'm glad I'm not in there. Now, I don't know much about your own story, and maybe you've spent some time in jail, prison. It's nice to get out, isn't it? Listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have been set free because Jesus Christ came and paid the price for your sin. And because he's already stood before the judge and because he's already stood trial, you are free and you will not be convicted of the crime that he has already paid for. That is the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question now is, how do you respond? Chapter six talks a lot about sin. All the way up to chapter six talks about sin. Both Jews and Gentiles, they're both sinners. Chapter seven talks a lot about the law and it demonstrates to us that the law cannot and could not save people. And now chapter eight starts off. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who believe that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law, who believe that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for the sins of those who profess him and trust him as Lord and Savior. And because Jesus Christ did all of that, he rose from the dead to give us righteousness and give us new life, and therefore there is no condemnation. Chapter 8, we go from sin, law, to now. The predominant word that's used all throughout chapter 8 is the Spirit. We are to live by the Spirit. Take a look at this. Okay? Chapter 8. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, we talked about that last week, right? How there's the flesh and the spirit in us. 
And the flesh always wants to do its own thing, wants to go its own direction apart from God. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. And then he talks about three things on having your mind set on the flesh. When you have your mind set on the flesh, it's death because it focuses on sin and sin leads to, to death. The mindset on the flesh, verse 7, is hostile to God. It opposes God. It's against God. God hates sin. And when you're focused on the flesh, you're going to live in sin, and God hates that. So it's hostile to God. And then verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They can try. You can get proud and think to yourself, I'm doing everything right. And maybe by the world standards you are. But by God's standards... You're not, because you're living in the flesh rather than living in the Spirit. Well, he also talks about having your mind set on the Spirit. And here's where it gets difficult. And this is why I wanted to, to come to my garage and show you something that I hope makes sense. And so I have my, my son's bike here. I'm going to start with this one, and then I'm going to show you another bike and how each one works a little bit differently. But what's interesting with, with this bike is let's say, let's say life is this chain and it's going around the sprockets and it's spinning the wheel and you're, you're moving along, okay? Well, this bike has one sprocket in the front and it has one sprocket in the back and no matter what, this chain is fixed to those sprockets. It's not gonna move in any way. It has to go around the front sprocket and around the back sprocket. And here's what, or the analogy I want to make with, with this chain. Law can be like this bike here where there's only one sprocket in the front and one sprocket in the back. It's got a one path that it can take. And what's interesting is you can get different manufacturers with a larger sprocket in the front or a smaller sprocket in the back or switch it around, and you can change some things about it, but the path is still the same. And the way the law works is it has one path, and over time, things may get tweaked a little bit, but it still has one path. And so here, I want to focus in on this section right here. Notice what happens when the chain moves slightly over. It derails, right? Well, that's how we view the law. You see, the law, when it's following the path it's supposed to follow, everything seems to be working smoothly. But as soon as something gets tweaked a little bit or off track a little bit, things kind of fall apart. Then all of a sudden you're derailed and you may be spinning in front, but you're not spinning in the back. <laughs> When Jesus came on to the scene and he started walking around and he started talking with people who were under the law, life worked very similar to this bicycle where you had to be going in one path all the time. And then as time went by, even those laws would change within that path. And so people would begin to say, well, not only do you have to keep the Sabbath, but you cannot do any work. In fact, you can only walk so many feet on the Sabbath. 
And not only that, but if a person was in need, you can't help them because that would be some sort of work. And so when Jesus comes and he heals somebody on the Sabbath, you had people with the intent of the law to come and say, hey, you're not doing what, what the law says. And Jesus says, wait, you miss, you actually miss the intent of the law. You have reversed things. You said the law now is, is there to control us, but in fact, the law was there to help reveal sin and reveal what's going on in our hearts and our lives. But instead you're using the law to control people. And so now people who need something on the Sabbath can't be served because the law says they can't. And there was no, there was no flexibility. In fact, the whole idea of, of loving God and loving others was removed. And now it was just, well, just follow, follow the law. But there's another way, and that's to live by the Spirit. So let me show you that one. So I swapped out my son's bike with my bike so I could show you uh, the difference between a fixed chain and a variable chain. And my goal in doing this is to try to show the difference between living by the law and living by the Spirit. So in the passage, just to take a look at it again, we go through and we see how it talks about how we're, those who live by the flesh are hostile towards God. They have their mindset on the flesh, but we have our mind set on the spirit. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. In other words, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you believe he, he came he died on the cross, he rose from the dead to give you life, and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, and you've put your faith in his works and not in your own. So if you've done that, then the Spirit of Christ lives in you. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So here's the good news. And this is the way I see this. And, and in my mind, it makes sense. Hopefully, it'll make sense for you too. We had the fixed chain before, and the fixed chain would always go in the same pathway. Here, we're dealing with a variable chain. And so if you've ridden any kind of a 10-speed, I don't know, 15, 18 speed mountain bike, road bike, or something like that, then you know that there's there's gears in the front and there's gears in the back, and it can change. And if you're going up a hill, you're gonna change, and you're gonna go into a higher gears, higher gear, so that you're pedaling faster in the front, but your tire's going a little bit slower in the back. And then if you're level or you're going downhill, you're gonna change to a lower gear, so then you're, you're pedaling less in the front, but your tire's going faster. Well, you know that in a hill situation, it's better to be in a higher gear, gear. So you're gonna be going slower, but you're gonna be able to pedal a little bit easier. In life, things change, our circumstances change. And as our circumstances change, we need to be able to, to shift with it. And that's what the spirit allows you to do. The law wants to keep everything very rigid. And so you can see here, just spinning and and I won't zoom in for this one. I'll just kind of show you, you know, as, as time goes by, maybe you, you decide, huh, I can go a little bit faster. And so you end up shifting and, and you're going down that direction. And well, maybe you decide to go back up. And, and so the gear, the gear shifts. It's an example of how in life things change. So let's take the example of Jesus Christ. 
he was uh, under a law that said you wouldn't be able to talk to anybody who was, who was committing adultery or a Samaritan or anything like that. So what does he do? He goes up to a Samaritan who was committing adultery and he talks to her. Why? Because she would listen. She would listen to the gospel. The law said, or could care less really about the Gentiles and whether or not the Gentiles would hear the truth. But Jesus went and said, you need to take the message, the gospel, to the Jews and the Gentiles. Over and over again, you see that, that there were examples of, of people who would not be, be served because maybe they just they didn't fit the mold and didn't fit the, the law. But Jesus went and he hung out with the sinners. He hung out with the tax collectors. He went to, to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. You're, you're actually pursuing me. So come down and I'm going to dine with you. And you could just see and hear the, the voices of the Pharisees and the scribes saying, he can't do that. He's a sinner. And Jesus said, no, under the spirit, I have the right because I understand what the intent of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that can change in varying cultures with different people. Paul tells us that he learned to become all things to all men so that people would hear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are moral laws that we follow. We don't kill people. We don't commit adultery. We don't do those things because that's not loving. But there's a lot of other flexibility when you live by the Spirit rather than living by the law. And so this was kind of a new thought and a new teaching for a lot of people who had, who had grown up with some really strict laws for them to follow. But it was so refreshing to know that, that love is the ultimate law, is the ultimate goal. So how do you really know what love is? I think that's probably the biggest question I have because what I might consider being love might be really different than what you might consider to be love. And I think this is where the body of Christ comes together. The body of Christ helps us understand how to love people well and how to love Jesus well. Right now, many of us are sitting in our homes worshiping together. And some people would say, you have to go to a church building in order to worship Jesus. That's simply not true, is it? The church is the body of Christ. It's people. It's not a building. You don't need a building to worship Jesus. So we're worshiping at home. We're worshiping together through screens. Next week, we've asked our life groups to come together to worship together. I'm really excited about that. I just, I think that's going to be an awesome time of worship for the next, we'll have three weeks to be able to do that, to do that together. And I'm really looking forward to it. And it's a way for us to ease back into our, our large group setting. I can't wait for it. But, but that's another way to worship. In a different time, a different culture, different context, we could come together and worship and love our Lord and Savior together. But what about loving people? Well, I know I'm going to love people a certain way, and you're going to love people a certain way. What's the intent? Is it to check off a list and say, well, I've spent 20 minutes loving this person, or is the intent, I'm going to love that person in any way that I can? You see, that's the difference between a checklist and a law approach versus love approach. 
There's a couple things I want to share with you, I think, that are helpful when it comes to being transformed and being led by the Spirit. How does the Spirit actually lead us? So here's some thoughts I wanted to share with you. One, the Spirit leads us through the Word. I think it's really important that we're in the Word of God. We're told in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God pierces each of us. It digs deep and it reveals truly who we are. When we read God's Word and we reflect on God's Word, He shows us what's going on in our hearts. And so if you're asking the question, well, I don't know if I'm loving people well, be in the Word of God. Spend time with Him. Because He will show you the truth. If you honestly approach His Word, He will show you the truth. That's the first thing you can do. Second thing, through prayer. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus is going up and he is praying before his arrest. And, and this is the time where he is, he is so anxious that he is sweating drops of blood. And he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be led to the cross and killed. He knows that he is going to have the wrath of God poured upon him, which none of us could even fathom what that must have been like. He knew all of that was about to happen. And so he is praying to his father. And he comes to his disciples and he asks them, please be in prayer. Pray and watch. This is what he says. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, prayer, we think of prayer sometimes as, well, we're trying to change God or get what we want from God. But prayer is designed to actually change us. It changes our hearts. It helps us see where, where we've made mistakes. It helps us see where we need to grow when we come and honestly pour ourselves out before the Father. Through His Word, through prayer, and through the church. Hebrews 10 24 says, let us watch out for one another and provoke love and good works. The church is not an organization or a, a building. It is a group of people, a gathering of people. It's the body of Christ. And we are called to care for one another, hold each other accountable, love one another as Christ loves us. It's awesome. That's the way God designed things to work. So we have the Spirit transforming the mind through the Word of God, through prayer, through the church, and then we can add several things like books, articles, sermons, devotions, journaling, small groups, corporate worship, and tests of faith. When our faith is tested, it demonstrates that we're growing closer, we lean upon Christ, we, we grow in our understanding of who He is. Those are ways that, that we're transformed. And then we see as you go forward in this passage, verses 12 through 17, he talks about how we no longer are obligated to live to the flesh. We're supposed to be serving and living according to the Spirit. He gives us new life. In fact, this is one of the most profound and most precious statements in all of Scripture. Listen to this. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. 
You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, a legal adoption. Not just like, hey, open my door, bring you in, but a legal adoption where the paper is signed, you legally, rightfully become God the Father's. Adopted, and then we can cry out, and he says this with emphasis, Abba, Father. Kind of a mixture of, of actually some Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic all going on there, Abba. And I've heard many teachers talk about that, like that's the simple way of saying Daddy. We do that in, in our English language, right? Daddy, Dad. Papa, Father. We're so intimately connected with Him that we can cry out to Him and say, Abba, Daddy, Father. I have my own children, and uh, and while there are times when there's disagreements, uh, conflict, tension, I know, and I hope that they know, I will always love them. And my love for my my children, while it's strong, it's not as strong as God's love for us, for you, and for me. Nothing will ever be able to take my children away from me. Yes, they could, they could die. As painful and difficult as that is, they'll still be my, my children. Even death can't separate us from the Father. Because physical death just means we're going to go to heaven and see him for all eternity. We have eternal life with our Father. And nothing can take that away. Christ has already paid the price. That brings us back to our big idea. Jesus was declared guilty. He paid the price and died so you can live. So live by the Spirit. Not by the flesh, not by the law, not by your sinful desires, but by the Spirit of God. Know and love God the Father with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. A couple application points. In your own words, write down the main point of this passage. Just rewrite it. This will help you process and wrestle with the concepts this passage is presenting to us. Write it down. If you want to write a paragraph, you can. Journal if you want to. Write it out in your own words. Like I say, the big idea that I have for you, Jesus was declared guilty, paid the price, and died so you can live. That's the way I've worded it in my own words. How would you word it in your own words? And then the second one, what can you do? Or excuse me, what can you add to your daily schedule that will help you think and live by the Spirit? What can you add to your daily schedule that will help you think and live by the Spirit? Maybe it's 
some more Bible reading. Maybe it's more prayer or a time of prayer if you're not already having that time of prayer. Maybe it's a, a devotion out there, something on a Bible app where it just sends you something to read every day. Uh, maybe it's a, a phone call once a week with a friend who will help hold you accountable. There's a lot of different things you could do to just increase your input from God so that you can continue to grow in your faith. What is it? You cannot be condemned for your sins if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That is such great news. Enjoy it. Have peace with God and share your great news with the rest of the world. Tell everybody you meet that you are a child of God.